Right, joined now by our colleagues Troy Brady from Aprio Investor Relations and a former rated resource analyst, and Tom McLaughlin, who heads up Aprio Digital. Gents, you've just authored a set of articles around this changing sort of investment landscape uh, where a lot more retail investors, day traders perhaps, are getting involved. Give us a sense, when we talk changing digital landscape for retail investing, what are we talking about, Tom? What kind of platforms, how is this being more democratized? So I think if you look at the global context, what we've really seen is this rise of sort of packs of risk-averse traders who are who are really sort of gathering around sort of social media platforms and sharing a lot of strategy amongst themselves. And it's really sort of redefining the way, I suppose, investment has happened in the past. It's largely as a result of, I think, familiarity. So if we look at the, the sort of rise of selling, you know, around buying and selling of cryptocurrencies over the last few years has really, you know, sort of spurred on this generation of social media savvy investors who are who are just really comfortable with with, with seeing the you know the, the big dips and swings and you know holding on to their positions for longer and, and not getting sort of too emotionally um, connected to the outcome but at the same time because of their sort of age group and there's a strong millennial influence coming through they're quite used to the sort of gamified approach uh, around things like um, investment. So it's interesting. We're seeing the sort of perfect storm happening. Add to that, of course, um, the, the worldwide COVID pandemic. And you've, you, you can quickly see how, you know, these factors come together. People spending more time at home. They've got a lot more available income. Not too sure where to place it. And on a global level, that's, that's just seen an incredible rise in, in retail investment over the past while. I think Citadel saw global retail trade figures doubling to around 20% of the average daily trade volumes in the US over the pandemic. So, so that gives some, some context or a or, or, or bit of a picture around it. Troy, I mean, what Tom has described sounds like a battle between new school versus old school, amateur versus professional, rebel versus the establishment. I mean, you come out of the establishment mindset. Is this a good idea? Is this good for capital markets that we have this new generation, this new breed of investors, almost treating it like a casino? Yeah, Alan, I think uh, what, what Tom said is actually applicable. You know, in the, in the old days, if I can call it that, people would go into pubs and exchange ideas or at a braai or, you know, a lot of companies had these investor presentations or the results presentations and a lot of casual investors could also go into those and then face-to-face talk to management or, or amongst themselves. But I think now with COVID, people feel very isolated. And obviously, a lot of people now also have more time on their hands and um, maybe a bit of spare money and they need information. So they sort of revert to social media where they can exchange ideas. And I think also what Tom said is, is quite true. It, it may be a younger generation which is more sort of um, amenable to that. But I think even the older guys, you know, they're also going there because there's almost no alternative. And um, you can't really see the age of these guys, but um, you can sometimes see by the way that they communicate that some of them could be younger. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Um, people need, markets need information to operate. 
And, you know, you'll always have this exchange of ideas, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's on social media. The problem with social media is you've got no idea who you're communicating with. I think that's the danger, is that it could be somebody who, who puts himself forward as an expert, but in reality, he's not. I think that's the danger. Because surely you, you need to make an informed decision when it comes to buying or selling based on good data. And what I'm hearing is social media is the source of that information. Can that come up with alternative sources of good information, Tom? Yeah, I think so. Uh, to that point, I think, uh, and to Troy's point earlier, just in terms of the lack of information, you know, what you do see on these on forums like and, and Reddit has certainly taken taken the fall as well as Discord, um, which Discord is a platform which historically was a uh, was designed for gamers. So it was actually a, a place for gamers to gather and discuss, um, you know, strategies around gaming. So interestingly, that's been sort of usurped by the retail trade globally. Um, in, interesting sort of synergy there. But yeah, in, in terms of the, the information, the nature of information that's shared on these platforms is, is far more emotive almost or, or sentiment driven. So, you know, you, you see a rise in, in short form messaging. So essentially what's being called, you know, meme, meme culture, meme. So meme stocks are starting to emerge, which are stocks that are highly volatile driven by um, sentiment in the short term. Um, and, and there's this sort of period of heightened, essentially, I suppose, you, you know, you could, you could almost say frenzy, but it, it's, it's perhaps unfair. It's less information being delivered in a more emotive way to a far bigger audience. And I think in that there is an element of risk if we're not drip feeding, you know, solid company fundamentals into the mix. You, you, you can really start to see where the, where the risks emerge. So, Troy, I mean, popular trading apps like Robinhood have made, have made trading easy, fun, basically free. We saw some pushback from the regulators in the States after the GameStop issue. Um, for a South African, I mean, what are the same platforms available to us? Are there regulatory constraints which might inhibit us trading freely on these platforms? Tom, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think we've got something quite similar to Robin Hood. But we've got many, many um, platforms in South Africa which are really accessible to the public. I mean, most banks nowadays, you can trade your shares through your bank. Or there's a platform like Easy Equities, which is quite uh, affordable for the average guy. And they're really, they're very easy to get onto and, and to trade. So, yes, of course, there are regulations, but... Um, it's not onerous. But having said that, I think people always forget that South Africa is actually quite a sophisticated market. We're a very old market, you know, over 100 years old. And people forget that. We're not the Mickey Mouse market. So it is properly regulated. So can we trade on the New York Bourse, for example, out of South Africa? Or are we limited to the JSE and the Altex and local exchanges? Yeah, I think there are ways to trade overseas, but um, it's just much easier to do it locally. I think to, just to add to that, so certainly there's, you know, there's been a global trend towards these commission-free trading apps where you're also trading sort of smaller portions of a stock, which from a regulatory perspective is certainly, you know, going to change the the global mindset and the way in which the platforms themselves need to be 
and will be regulated. Robin Hood, and, and I'm sure we're going to unpack that in more in a moment, but Robin Hood, which was behind the um, now infamous uh, GameStop trading frenzy, has come under quite serious scrutiny in the last, uh, in the last few months um, around, firstly, its influence, and secondly, just how it uses that influence and could potentially use that influence to alter valuation or, or alter trading activity. So it certainly is something that's on the radar, but from a global perspective, I don't think there are any absolutes or, or you know definite answers around how to how to manage it. So it's certainly interesting. So without stealing the thunder from that report, I mean, what were some of the the key findings when it came to the whole Reddit, GameStop, Robinhood case study? Well, I, I would say that probably right at the forefront is this notion that. You know, a game, uh, sorry, a, a company can hold more than just its fundamental value to an audience. So, so GameStop was, was a listed gaming retailer, much like, um, say, a Musica um, or, you know, uh, sort of in the, in the old days, a CD warehouse in South Africa, which would have retailed physical products in a brick and mortar store. GameStop was one of those retailers. Uh, it held a lot of value for, Again, millennials now who would have gone to the malls with their parents back in the day and, you know, hunted through the shelves and found the latest game and, you know, it was a sort of enjoyable part of, I suppose, their, you know, teenage years. Um, and it's, it's held that level of emotional connection. But however, as a, as a company, it's been treated completely differently for obvious reasons. So what we saw happening with GameStop was essentially a, sort of bunch of hedge funds got together and were short selling the the stock which Troy can give us some more info on but my basic understanding is that it's essentially betting against the value of the stock so betting on the price going down and so the extent of this was fairly damaging to to GameStop's stock of course um at one point i think over 130% of the stock in issue was held in short positions, uh, largely by hedge funds. And this sort of horde of younger retail investors on digital platforms, uh, specifically uh, Reddit, so they were using a, a subreddit, which is a, a forum on, on Reddit's main platform called Wall Street Bets. Um, and they gathered together and looked at this and almost felt it was a personal affront. It was a, an attack on their beloved GameStop. Um, so, so I think, you know, in a nutshell, it, it really showed us that there's more driving investment than purely fundamentals. Uh, and, and there's a risk in that. Unfortunately, there's also an opportunity for those looking to exploit stocks. And, and I think that's what we're seeing from a regulatory perspective is that uh, regulators are, are, are very concerned that when you start simplifying messages, working with memes, dealing with you know large hobbyist investors, you can really start to influence what happens in a share price. So I think that's really you know the the, the crux of where where we are. But certainly there were a bunch of additional fascinating trends around you know ease of access to the platforms and this whole notion of you know, fractional ownership of shares really democratizing the shareholding or the investment experience. 
So, Troy, I mean, what Tom's speaking to is sometimes more about sentiment, sticking it to Wall Street, to that Wall Street elite rather than the investment fundamentals. I mean, is there, from your experience, yeah. is there any of that kind of sentiment in South Africa? Isn't that a uniquely US or perhaps London type of sentiment? Not at all. No, we've had a case study recently, a company that Aprio has been very closely involved with. And um, we actually set up a media monitoring function because of that, because we realized that out of the blue, all of a sudden, we had this group of, of investors who organized themselves and became quite a vocal voice out there. And uh, maybe just some background. The reason that these guys got themselves um, together was they were minority shareholders in a company which got itself very deeply in, into debt. It couldn't service the interest anymore, and um, it had to sell off assets in order to get itself out of this debt burden. But the lenders of the company didn't like that idea, and they offered to recapitalize the company, uh, sort of a debt-for-asset swap. And... The minority shareholders then got very worried that they're going to lose out if the lenders take everything, strip this company bare, basically. Then they will be left with nothing. So they very quickly started a Twitter group. And in no time, they were up to like 130-odd members and growing by the day, each of them having just a couple of hundred shares, maybe, you know, not more than a 1,000 shares. But all of them together started to become meaningful and they started approaching institutional investors, the funds. And at some point, we actually wondered whether there was a fund behind this using these, the Twitter crowd, basically, as a platform, as a voice to raise their concern. And as time went on, so this whole thing played out in the space of about three months. But this group eventually uh, spread to Discord and Reddit, which are the other platforms I think that Tom mentioned earlier. And at some point, they claimed to control almost 35-odd percent of this company, the shares. And we could never verify that and whether they actually did um, have that sort of control over each other. That's debatable. But the point is that they eventually pressured the company into talking to them. So this was not a, <laughs> not a little flash in the pan sort of event. These guys had, had a voice. And through that, every now and again, you would have somebody just calling out a target share price, which was way above the ruling share price, and, and saying that the share is worth this much and buy it because it's a proud South African company and all, you know, all kinds of things like that. So it became almost like a patriotic thing. And they were driving the share price up because you'd see that it's a random guy mentioning a random number and the share price would move. <laughs> It was actually quite remarkable to observe. Even in South Africa, armchair investors yep. can wield and are increasingly wielding influence. So what are the lessons? I mean, what are you, you know, are you extracting lessons out there for the stockbrokers, for the banks, for the retail investors? Just in closing, what would you see? How do people need to respond to this new dynamic, this new evolving trend? Tom, would you answer that? But I think from my side, I'd say that companies need to acknowledge these groups they need to find a way to communicate on these platforms to convey the correct facts. Because very often these guys would call out a number or an earnings number or a, a net asset value number 
or make an assumption that there's no debt left in the company after this deal, for example, when in fact there is. So there are there are a lot of inconsistencies and wrong numbers. So companies need, I think, to find a way to correct these wrong assumptions. Tom, in terms of that, I mean, are we seeing a lot of the establishment still communicating in old school channels, whereas they now need, given that these armchair investors are using digital for investing, for activism, do they need to be active in those channels themselves? Yeah, I think the principle remains that this is an audience uh, that needs to be treated as you would any any investor audience, and that is increasingly going to be become the case. And I think it's important for the time being not to not to get too caught up from a company perspective with the amount of information, you know, that that's being discussed, uh, but rather sort of stick to your, you know, your solid communication, stick to your platform, stick to your channels um, and make sure you are monitoring those channels that are happening around you know, around your your business and your your company, I think there is a danger in over involvement in jumping into the platforms. These are platforms that have been set up by retail investors for the purpose of discussing you as a company, and jumping into that conversation uninvited, like with any brand working on social media, can be viewed quite negatively. And um, so, so I think companies need to be clear and close to what's happening from a communication perspective, where the messaging is going wrong and need to be a lot quicker or may need to be a lot quicker in the future uh, around responding to that. But certainly they, they're still going to have to stick to their current principles and regulatory requirements to, to inform all investors. I don't think there can be too much uh, engagement you know, just with one, one audience. It, it has to be taken into consideration that this is a, a part of the pie. This is a part of the investor makeup and, and will increasingly be be that going forward. And I assume our listeners can read all about it in your forthcoming article, available in all good digital channels, I presume. That's correct. Yes, we'll, uh, we'll pump it out on, on social media and uh, we, we, we might not uh, direct it straight into the Reddit communities, but if it finds its way there, you, you may just be able to read it there too. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Thanks for sharing your insights. That's Tom and Troy. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for listening to Aprio Voice, a podcast from the reputation, management, and strategic communications professionals at the Aprio Group. If you would like to find out more about the work we do, visit aprio.co.za. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.